Hello, I'm Felix, and welcome to You Gotta Hack That, the podcast all about the security behind the Internet of Things. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about vulnerabilities discovered in Solax solar panel inverter connectivity. Today's episode is taking a slightly different format than usual. That's because it's all about the research that I completed at You Gotta Hack That on Solax inverter Wi-Fi dongles called Pocket Wi-Fi. Back in April 2023, I discovered that this bit of kit has at least three flaws. They are recorded formally as CVE 2023-35835-35836 and 35837. Before we get into the detail, I'd like to start by saying that I don't consider these to be the most amazing or technically awesome findings. However, the story of these findings highlights several key aspects of embedded security that I think are quite important and deserve a little bit of highlight. But let's look at the technical details before we get ahead of ourselves. Solux is a brand that makes solar panel inverters and storage batteries and and that sort of periphery. They appear to do their job admirably with the exception of their cybersecurity. In order to be a smart device, the inverter has a module that plugs into the inverter to provide internet connectivity, remote configuration, access to usage statistics, and so on. This little module plugs in via USB and is called the Solux Pocket Wi-Fi. The research reflects findings in uh, the version 3 hardware and the firmwares up to approximately version 3.009.03. Though I need to be clear here, these flaws don't appear to have been patched yet. Uh, Check back on my blog entry as I will try and keep it up to date um, if I find out any more or if I uh, discover that there's any fixes that it's been uh, applied and so on. All right, so the vulnerabilities themselves. Uh, the least exciting of the three CVEs is CVE 2023-35836. This finding is about the fact that the method by which the device is configured is via an unencrypted web interface over an unencrypted Wi-Fi hotspot. Amongst other things, device configuration includes joining the pocket Wi-Fi to the user's home Wi-Fi network. As every layer of the communication is done without encryption, this means that the owner's Wi-Fi password is broadcast to anyone who wants to capture it that's in radio frequency range. I hear you say, ah, yes, Felix, but that only happens once when this is being set up. That's not really that big a concern. And to some extent, I agree with you. Uh, But before we move on, let's think about this a tiny bit more. If, for whatever reason, I was attacking your stuff using cyber means, I would almost certainly perform a Wi-Fi assessment of your home. If I were able to identify an embedded system such as this inverter, I would be interested in how I can use it to further my attacks. One of the things I could do is to deny or degrade it such that you, the owner, attempt to fix it. It is actually relatively easy to selectively prevent a single device from connecting to a Wi-Fi network. So in doing exactly that, I could trick you into resetting your device and reconfiguring it. Whilst at the same time, I may have left a a device, say in a bush nearby, that is eavesdropping to capture that communication exchange. But anyway, yes, I still agree. It isn't the worst thing in the world, as that is quite a lot of effort. It's very, very targeted, and it only actually gains the attacker a Wi-Fi password, which you then have to turn into something meaningful elsewhere. Next up, we've got CVE 2023-35837. This one is a bit of a facepalm moment, to be honest, because the developers almost got it kind of acceptable. I use those words quite specifically because it's not the worst tactic in the world, but it isn't exactly the most shiny thing either. The Wi-Fi access point that the Solux 
pocket Wi-Fi device produces in order to perform these configuration tasks hosts a web administration interface. I need you to think like basic web application that just has a few fields and a few like submissions bits where you can set stuff up. You will be delighted to hear that this web interface requires a username and password. You will be impressed that the password is not one of the obvious default passwords, such as the word password or admin or something else that's equally kind of guessable. They have, in fact, used the device's serial number as the password. At first glance, this sounds not bad. It isn't a perfect strategy, but let's face it, it's not terrible because at least that means that that password will be unique for each device. The issue arises from the fact that the serial number is not just the password. It is, in fact, also the Wi-Fi network name or SSID. That means it's particularly easy to just log in to the admin interface because, after all, you've got a copy of the password when you joined the Wi-Fi network. To top it off, there is no routine that forces the user to change the password on first use, which is, is a pretty standard approach these days. Is If you're going to use a default password, at least make sure it is not going to persist for very long. The impact of this password snafu is relatively limited, um, and that's because it is constrained to whatever is possible via the web admin console. Now, there could be as yet unpublished vulnerabilities, but as the web interface is no more complex than network configuration, firmware uploading, and changing that password, uh, the, pri- the kind of the primary things that an attacker can do is, is, is limited to that. That's not to say it's not got some potential for real potency here, because let's be honest, if you can upload an alternative firmware to this, then you can do remote code execution, and it's arbitrary, uncontrolled, and so on. That there is quite a scary thought when you think about it. And finally, the most interesting of the three vulnerabilities, CVE 2023-35835, Well, I've talked a lot about the Wi-Fi hotspot made by the Solax Pocket Wi-Fi device to allow that initial configuration. This hotspot is persistent. Uh, Once configuration is complete, it doesn't go away. In fact, there is no way to even turn it off if you wanted to. Let us not forget that there is no encryption or authentication on this Wi-Fi network. Um, The bit that I haven't mentioned yet, though, is that alongside the web admin interface is also a Modbus connection. I've talked about Modbus in a previous episode, so I'm not going to revisit that in any level of detail. But in summary, Modbus is a status and control protocol. That means anybody who talks to it via Modbus can get information about the inverter and send it commands to do things. When you combine Modbus the kind of the device itself and the vulnerabilities, what you end up with is uh, the ability for anybody who walks along the street to connect to the Wi-Fi network, to send commands to that inverter and potentially have detrimental effects on that inverter. The effect of this could potentially be disastrous depending on exactly what the inverter was supporting and kind of the wider context. Let's take, for example, somebody who relies upon a mains electricity supply for their oxygen supply because they're, you know, they're very unwell. If you were to send commands to this inverter, which then tripped the electricity or, you know, somehow drained the battery so that they were unable to rely upon it at a later date, then that could end up in their death. That is very scary. I'd like to take a moment to talk about the fact that I've published this information without knowing that there is a security patch available. Some people would call that reckless, uh, but I respectfully disagree, and I'll tell you why. I first alerted Solax about my findings in May 2023, a short while after I discovered them in the first place. 
I tried several times and eventually got contact from somebody. But this took me not just emailing in the standard support routines, but also phoning in several times to try and get to someone who could actually talk to me about it. We had a few sporadic emails for a short while that didn't really achieve anything. And then, frankly, they went quiet anyway. After trying several more times, I found every email address I could globally for the entire Solax company and every country that they operate in. I forwarded the entire email chain that I'd had so far, including all of the not responded to messages, and I heard nothing back until a few days before uh, the time that I had informed them that I was originally planning on publishing the research. At this point, we had a few emails where I tried to guide them into making some sensible corrective actions, but then they went quiet again. Um, it's it's really important to note here that there there is absolutely a bit of a, a like a language barrier and culture barrier and that kind of stuff here, um, and that's uh, that 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 was shown by the fact that some of the descriptions of the ways that they were planning on fixing these things didn't really stand up to what I thought was a scrutiny. But actually, when you looked at it in more depth, it was the way that they were describing what they were trying to achieve. So we kind of got there eventually, and they they did come out with a plan that somehow kind of made most sense. After delaying the publication's date twice, and after several more attempts to contacting them, uh, we get to now, uh, approximately nine months later, During this entire communication, I regularly asked about engineering dates, uh, patch distribution dates, and told them I was happy to delay further if this was needed. Uh, But with the lack of communication, I felt forced in the end to just publish it in a last-ditch attempt to get them to take the cybersecurity of their customers seriously. Also, keep in mind, for those who are not initiated, but uh, the coordinated disclosure process, typically, I mean, there's a lot of interpretations to this, but typically you're looking at an expectation that there's a 90-day turnaround, so three months. They had three times that length of time before I gave up. There are quite a few lessons I'd like to draw out from this research. Um, The first is a sort of semi-technical one, uh, which is uh, that the uh, developers of these systems should really think about enrollment and configuration. It was clearly one of the bigger problems with this particular product set. If they have thought about this a bit more in depth and and considered it a a thing that they needed to protect, then they may not have fallen foul to a lot of this. Um, This is an area where a lot of embedded products do badly. To be honest with you, it's not just these guys. One way they could have done better here, though, is a fairly simple fix, which is something uh, a bit more robust, like uh, including a QR code sticker on the device that identifies the Wi-Fi hotspot credentials to the installer. And so long as that password that they, they put on that sticker was randomly generated, this would have prevented most of the risks of all three of these vulnerabilities. Uh, and that's just because they'd have protected it at the lowest layer that they were able to. Don't get me wrong, enrollment and configuration management is really hard, but there are options for the vast majority of circumstances. I think it is really important to highlight the fact that I couldn't find any security disclosure policy anywhere on any of their websites. This means that I was desperately trying to find the right person to talk to. Um, It's also fair to say that I don't think they knew who I should talk to or how to handle me. They'd never really done this before, and, and it really did show. Next up, I would like to encourage anyone uh, on the receiving end of a security researcher's messages to not simply ignore them. This especially applies if they're trying to be helpful, like I believe I was. When you've got someone who's trying to be constructive, take advantage of the free expertise. And you might not agree with everything that they say, but if you get their perspective, you may well be able to pick it up from there and do something that makes everybody happy. 
Ignored messages, though, they just result in the impression that the organization doesn't actually care about the security of the product and is doing nothing uh, about the security concerns that have been raised. Eventually, this then turns into published research without fixes being distributed correctly, exactly like has happened with Solax. Which leads nicely on to uh, making sure you have a method or a plan to distribute security fixes. I got the distinct impression that Solax hadn't thought about this and couldn't work out how to do it, but they refused to discuss it with me. So I'll never actually know for sure you know, how they went about doing it in the background, unless, of course, they magically make it happen for uh, the, the, the Solax Inverter equipment that we've got. The methods don't necessarily need to be automated and magical for doing patch distribution. I mean, that is sort of the gold standard is, is why wait? There are certain circumstances where that is appropriate to wait and let the user take control of this. But in some, actually, you could just get on with it. Whatever you choose to do, though, they do need to actually work. To make it work, you need to make sure that you know who your customer base is, even if that is just the technical details, you know, like the fact that you've got a serial number that's connected to an API, for instance, that should be enough. Next, you need a way of informing them, either automatically or via the user, that there is in fact a patch that needs to be distributed and applied. You will then need a way of distributing the patch, getting it installed, testing that it's worked correctly after it's been installed, and potentially a way of rolling back to the previous patch state if it didn't work correctly. Uh, One of the biggest things that gets underestimated is the ability to thoroughly test the patches before distribution. This is no small task, especially when there are multiple hardware versions, multiple versions of variants of the firmware already deployed, and like every combination they're in. It is important to note that I have been fairly technically vague about these vulnerabilities. This is on purpose. Specifically, this is because there are no fixes available to my knowledge, or at least none that I'm aware of that have been widely distributed. Whilst I don't think it would take a malicious actor very long to come up with tools to take advantage of this, I don't really want to be the one responsible for reducing the skill set needed even further. I am really interested in hearing your thoughts about this particular episode because uh, there's there's a lot of effort that's gone into this. There's been a lot of communication uh, attempted, and and in general speaking, uh, it, it's been it's been less satisfactory than I would like it to have been. If you happen to be the operator or you know maintainer of some uh, embedded systems and you've had similar experiences before, again, I would love to hear. And if you happen to be the developer or the owner of uh, uh, an embedded system platform. I, you know, tell tell me about your challenges. That would be really, really interesting too. Thanks for listening today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, please give the show a rating or review in your podcast app, tweet about it or post it somewhere. We would really appreciate it. To talk to us about any aspect of the show, suggest a future topic or to ask a question about IoT security, please get in touch. You can do that via email at helpme at yg.ht with at gotta underscore hack via Twitter or X um, or searching yght. Uh, you got to hack that on LinkedIn.